The Boarding Pass is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and GameTime tracks those prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, so they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. It's quick, it's easy, it's simple, the app is so smooth, it's two taps from finding your tickets to checking out, you're going to save a lot of time and money with that. So the GameTime app is simple, it's quick, it's easy to navigate. Download the GameTime app in Google Play or the App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. The 2019-20 season, the Winnipeg Jets are in 11th place in the NHL and in so many ways that's an incredible accomplishment. The team isn't dominating at even strength, it's not dominating on the power play or the penalty kill, but on the road trip they're on right now, they're 3-0-0 while still dealing with the absence of Dustin Bufflin and injuries to Brian Little, Mason Appleton, Mark Letestu, Gabriel Bork, the list goes on and on, and yet the team is 13-8-1. At the heart of the team's success, Connor Hellebuck, but I think something special is happening on the road trip that we're watching right now before our eyes. Ken Weeb is on site in Dallas covering what's going to be tonight's game on Thursday, November 21st. I'm Murata Tesh. I am in Winnipeg. This is the boarding pass, and let's get right into it, Ken. What's going on on this road trip where this team just keeps finding ways to win hockey games? Yeah, it's certainly interesting, Murad. I mean, the the talk that was dominated early on in the year was that the Jets couldn't find a way to win any games in regulation. Uh, their deficiencies were being masked by elite-level goaltending, and uh, both of those things were true because they were factual. But what we've started to see on this trip, which, I mean, everyone was sort of looking at as a bit more of a litmus test given the quality of the opponent, uh, is that the Jets are finding a way to continue to find a way to win games. And in some of those games, I think they have uh, cleaned up some of those defensive uh, woes, if you will. Uh, Connor Hellebuck has still been busy. Uh, Lauren Bressois had enough action against the Florida Panthers. But uh, overall, the Jets are f- sort of finding a bit more of a groove in terms of playing with the lead. Uh, so many times early on they were chasing the game that they hadn't found themselves in this position very often but uh, lo and behold now they're you know they have been comfortable in one goal games the entire season and had a lot of success in them but a lot of the time they were having to you know come and rally from behind rather than play with the lead so for me I mean even though the Jets were outshot the, uh, the last game against the Nashville Predators I didn't view that game to be anything closer to the sort of what they saw in the game against the San Jose Sharks, where they were basically hanging on by their fingernails for dear life. I mean, yes, there were 16 shots, but there was one high danger scoring chance against. And I mean, if you're the Jets coaching staff, you'll take that formula anytime. I mean, one high danger scoring chance out of 16, big deal. They kept the shots to the perimeter mostly. And I think that they weren't tentative. They weren't back on their heels and they didn't stop playing. And I thought once again that the Adam Lowry line uh, has been really important in terms of stemming the tide and and getting some momentum back in shifts where maybe the Jets have been hemmed in a little bit. I thought they were excellent uh, for the majority of this road trip after what was a little bit of a slow start for them, I think, against the Florida Panthers. Yeah, the Lowry, Cop and Matthew Perot line, I think, ha- has been 
it's something it's a, it's a look that Paul Maurice loves doesn't he he likes that top six of offensive talent and he likes grouping them together and now it's Jack Roslovic with an extra opportunity that he might not normally get but for for the Winnipeg Jets right now I think there is this idea that top six and a checking line is the way to go and when you have Adam Lowry anchoring it and Andrew Kopp supporting it I think I tweeted the other day Kopp is the defensive zone left winger that everyone should aspire to be in terms of his positioning and his ability to switch with the sender and help down low um, and the reads that he makes. And then Matthew Pro, who's noted has a, a major impact on possession no matter what line he plays. I think that that's a there's no way around it. That's going to be an important line for the Winnipeg Jets. The heat maps of the Nashville game match what you're describing, Ken. It's, uh, it was kind of for both teams. There wasn't a lot right from the middle, and the shot count might have been a little bit mis- misleading in terms of the quality that Hellebuck faced on that particular game. It's strange to think that out of 17 starts, I think he's got eight starts with a 950 or better. He still leads the league in expect or goals saved above expectation. But that particular 978 or whatever he ran against Nashville wasn't maybe even in the top five impressive games of Connor Hellebuck's season, which is pretty wild. There is one thing that has come out of all of this point banking on the road trip, and it's at theathletic.com. Dom Luschishin, who likes to do the projected NHL standings, I think this morning for the very first time, we're looking at his model projecting Winnipeg to be a playoff team. We've crawled uh, um, onto that site and and the Jets rank right now 53% Ken. So uh, sitting here November 21st, we're not yet at at American Thanksgiving, which a lot of folks like to use as as the cutoff. Can I put you on the spot? Is this a playoff team? Is that, what's, is that what's just happened on this road trip? Have they cemented that? Well, I would say that uh, they're trending in that direction. I think the, I mean, we've discussed this on the boarding pass several times already, that the expectation for many uh, of the analytics models were that the roof was about to cave in on the Jets because of those underlying numbers not being uh, sufficient or adequate. Uh, but what we and I, we had, you and I had talked about a lot is that there is some inherent value in finding a way to win when a team does not have its best. And uh, lo and behold, the old concept of winning breeds winning. I mean, there's no formula for that, but it counts for something and it it counts for comfort and it counts for uh, belief in a, the system and B that if a mistake is made, the goalie may be there to bail the team out. I mean, these are things that are actually, I mean, these things happen in, in hockey. And uh, lo and behold, you have some individuals that are starting to crank their games up, if you will. I mean, Nikolai Ehlers, I think, has probably been the the Jets' most consistent forward in a lot of areas. I mean, he's leading their team in goals. I don't think either of us would have projected that going into the season. <laughs> Um, I mean, we we thought he was going to have another big impact after everything that went on, whether it be the trade rumors around the the NHL draft or or the news that he had watched every single shift during the summertime. Uh, I mean, he's just playing with an exorbitant amount of confidence. I mean, he's not a guy that's lacked confidence, but when you go through playoffs without scoring any goals and you're a goal scorer, uh, that's going to trouble you and Nikolai Ehlers went back to the drawing board and has come back and adopted a little bit more of that shooter's mentality that is so often brought up uh, when discussing him and he's been absolutely dominant Uh, in the last couple games Mark Shifley has uh, found an extra gear again and has been chipping in a few more points and 
the Jack Rozovic is a guy that we have discussed, uh, you know, at length, but I mean, another great example of, I mean, we had talked about maybe shuffling things in the top six, if you will. And I mean, of course, a lot of that was out of necessity, but the chemistry between Ehlers and Jack Rozovic is real. I mean, you and I both have talked about wanting to see Rozovic back with Kyle Connor at some point, and we may still see that, but the way that those two are playing together right now with Blake Wheeler in the middle, I mean, there's no reason to make a change. I mean, that cutback that Jack Rozovic made the other day, it looks very routine in real time, but when you're looking at what he actually had to do to create A, the, the separation, and B, the seam in order to whip the puck across his body on his forehand to find Ehlers in the slot, and then Ehlers with the great patience and finish through the legs of Steven Santini, the defenseman, and a perfect shot on the blocker side of uh, UC Saros. I mean, so much about that play looks standard in real time, but if you really break that down, it was just an exceptional play by two players, and uh, we've seen a lot of that from Jack Rozovic, and it's just another example of him feeling confident with the puck and making things happen uh, for a guy who had battled with his consistency uh, you know, up until the season for, for a good chunk of it. Well, as a young man, well, hold on. As a young man, let me let me back out and say, yeah, that was a spectacular play. And then the Nick Ehlers uh, from his knees trying to just basically use his core strength to stay up and and, and center for Mark Shifley later on in the game. It was uh, it was almost an emulation of the Roslovic pass, but just from being knocked down at the same time. And that that was a really special and spectacular game, I thought, for those three players when they were on the ice together um, during those moments. Um, and then I, I was going to say, as a, as a young man, Jack Roslovic played on a line with Austin Matthews and Matthew Kachuk and held his own, scored a pile of points for the U.S. National Development Team program under-18 team, um, and I think still believes, or still his identity is scorer. I think he still sees himself as a guy who can put up big numbers and have a big impact. Um, he admitted that, you know, this might be just a placeholder thing until Brian Little eventually does, uh, does return from, to full health, uh, though that, that could be a while. I think this is going to be an opportunity for the Winnipeg Jets to really find out what they have in him and, and sort of see what they, be- you know, Paul Maurice likes to talk about auditioning for the role you're eventually going to have. And I think this is Jack Roslovic auditioning for role of talk- top six uh, scoring player. And so far, so good. Interestingly enough, both of the top lines uh, the, have started to post positive possession numbers over the last little while as well. And um, Shifley with his normal line mates, Kyle Connor and Patrick Laine, have uh, have started to post numbers. And Blake Wheeler's possession numbers have gone from subpar as a top-line right winger to um, actually quite excellent with Ehlers and Roslovic. And there's something kind of special going on there, and it might be, you know, if I can use hindsight in advance if we look back in february and this team is playing exceptional hockey i sincerely believe we're going to be looking back at this road trip that you're on right now as a time that they came together and was a turning point there's no guarantees i still have issues with the defense i don't believe it's as improved as the jets will have you uh, believe based on some of the quotes in public lately um but if they do hit that level, and if we are looking at that playoff chance and a playoff run, I think that there's something going on right now. And I'm wondering, has that translated to the room in practice at all yet? Uh, is it still that workmanlike vibe that we were observing a little bit earlier on? Yeah, I, th- I think there is a growing confidence uh, to a certain degree. And just going back to Rozovic for one second, I mean, I, I spoke with Donnie Granato 
around the draft when Jack Rosvick was chosen by the Jets, and he made it quite clear that Jack Rosvick was not just a placeholder on that line with Matthew Kachuk and Austin Matthews. He deserved to be on it, and he was a driver. So, I mean, the, the fact that he is starting to show that offensive flash I don't think should come as a real big surprise. It's just that he hasn't been able to do it over a sustained period. So, in terms of the mood around the team, I mean, obviously when a, te- a team is in better spirits when they're winning, but there isn't a, a cockiness or a complacency that has sort of... Uh, cast over them despite some recent success I think this this team knows that they do have some high-end offensive talent but that's not how they've been winning games I mean the one element that that we both are a bit surprised on yes there have been some nights on this road trip where they've put up four goals on you know two of the three games but I mean for the most part the Jets aren't 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 blowing the doors off teams and they're playing in a lot of tight games and uh, there are offensive chances created, but I mean, as we met, re-referenced earlier, I mean, the Jets didn't create a whole lot of high-danger chances against Nashville either, but they were opportunistic, and and the the quality of chances that they got, uh, a on the the play that we referenced with Rosovic and Ehlers, and b on the on the two-on-one uh, that was generated right out of the gate with Kyle Connor and Patrick Laine. I mean, when you have that finishing ability, uh, a team can can put up you know, just enough to get by, if you will. So uh, let, let's stick on the defense for a while, Marat. I mean, uh, you touched on the fact that you don't believe that the, the numbers are, or, the, or the, the numbers don't support what the Jets are saying. I mean, what are you seeing from the back end and, and what needs to improve in that front then? Yeah, and, and it's interesting to me. Um, I guess the big distinction that I have between uh, the, the quotes I heard from Paul Maurice about the defense being improved overall and my estimation of, of things being improved, it just comes from the public data. And when you watch the Winnipeg Jets play this season, as we have, and you obsess over it as we have, um, they're playing more aggressive at their own blue line. They're cutting down rush chances against. And I believe that by my eyes, and I believe that by the sport logic data that the Jets use and like to cite from time to time as well. That's a particular thing that I think Winnipeg did a, a phenomenal job at. They, they assessed a need. They looked at the, the personnel that they had. And um, they reasserted the importance of forwards coming back hard so as to make a defenseman's read in stepping up and challenging a play a little bit early on, an easier play for them to make. And I believe that they've had success. And that's reduced a certain number of a certain type of chance against, which is those rush chances. The, the issue I have with saying the overall product is better is when you look at the amount of expected goals or high danger chances given up um, per minute of five on five play by these Jets compared to the Jets one year ago. So far this season, the Jets are a bottom 10 team in expected goals against uh, per minute at five on five. And no matter whose model you use, whether that's Money Puck or Corsica or a natural stat trick or evolving hockey, um, every single one of them, each with slightly different tweaks to their formulas, have the Jets uh, at, as a bottom 10 or in some cases a bottom 5 defensive team in terms of the shot quality they give up. There's a lot of shots against. Not every individual shot is quality, but you add them all up and they're a bottom 10 team in that way. So that's where I sort of begin to take issue with the idea that the overall process has improved. It might be that they're defending certain plays better and that certain defensemen are making reads in very specific cases better. But when you add up the results at the end of the day, 
They're either making more breakdowns in their own end, leading to chances against of good quality, or they're simply spending more time there in the first place because a little bit of passiveness has been added to their forwards game to come back that hard to, to help the D make that gap. And you see that from centers or, or F3s staying high above the circles in the offensive zone and coming back hard, and it's a good defensive look. I just don't think that... I guess two things can be true at the same time. You can improve a very specific process, uh, uh, which is good and productive for the players and for moving forward. But if when you add up all the chances against at the end of the day, there's still more of them, I struggle to get behind the idea of an improved defense. And I think that that's something that has just ever so slightly began to trend positively out of that bottom five and towards that bottom 10. And who knows after that, I'm not necessarily projecting that it's gonna they're, they're going to be an elite team, but it's something to watch. It's something to keep their eye on because if the Winnipeg Jets are right and that the data that they're looking at suggests that something about their game has improved overall, we're going to start seeing it in the expected goals and high danger chances and uh, Micah McCurdy's uh, threat levels. We're gonna All the public data is going to reflect this if it is real and if it continues to improve. Um, yeah, for me, I mean, and, I, I would say the one thing that I would counter, I mean, I'm with you, but I, I think that the, the, the fact that they have cut, I mean, the, the biggest issue that the Jets had last year was the number of odd man rushes, right? I mean, that's something that they have cut down substantially. Uh, I'm with you that I think that their defensive zone coverage still uh, has left something to be desired on a lot of nights, but I think that that's the area that they're working the hardest at. And for me, I think that there's starting to be a level of comfort uh, on that top pairing, if you will, of Josh Morrissey and Tucker Pullman. They've had some better showings of late. I think that Josh Morrissey is becoming more comfortable with Pullman. I think Pullman's starting to figure out how to play with him. Uh, I think that Neil Pionk's game is continuing to improve, and I think there's been some stability on the third pairing with uh, Nathan Beaulieu and, and Lucas Spiza, and I think that even though Beaulieu is sort of still trying to play catch-up to a degree, I think that uh, he's sort of trending in the direction where it may not be that long before he's maybe bumped Dmitry Kulikov out of the top four and into a third-pairing role, and, and then we'll see what kind of impact that may have on the on the overall scheme of things. Before I get into Nathan Beaulieu, because you wrote a great piece on him and sort of you, you mentioned stabilization. And I think that, that that applies to the Jets on the ice, but also him sort of looking for his path in the NHL. And uh, he, he readily admitted to you and uh, the, the sources that you talked to that this was kind of a gut check season for him. He was really, really fighting for his uh, uh, for his opportunity. The, the one thing that actually I, I sort of pulled up there is is maybe a bit of a shock to me. Like Winnipeg by uh, I'm at HockeyViz right now and I'm looking at the quality of shots given up uh, and just like I say it, it is above average Winnipeg's giving up uh, you know the heat map right in front of Connor Hellebuck is, is a scorching area of lava but the surprising thing actually is that on the other end of the ice Winnipeg's generating so much less than average and it's actually worse in the offensive zone than it is in the defensive zone which is a shock on the on the season um, and that's something we're going to have to get into at a certain uh, at a certain level. Um, but for the time being, you're talking about Nathan Beaulieu and stabilization. And the fact is, Winnipeg as a team went through a pile of chaos to start the the season. Whether it's the Buffalo situation, Beaulieu's early injury, because I think we agreed this was a, an opportunity for him. Um, there has been a lot of instability on on the defense, and I agree with you. I think he would deserve a, a in time a. a, a I say in time to sort of couch it, but I, I think he is a more effective defenseman than Dmitry Kulikov is right now. 
And so what is it that you were able to learn about him? What's the story here? How's he, how has he come in and, and had such success? Yeah, it's been interesting. I mean, Bully was very candid in our conversation uh, earlier this week and in Nashville, and he sort of just got a little bit more into I'd asked him about it before and about his Buffalo time, and he didn't really want to talk about it. So, I mean, I respected that, but I circled back uh, the other day, and I guess he was in a little bit better mood to share. And, I mean, he really referenced the, the Ryan O'Reilly commentary before he was traded to to the St. Louis Blues, like where his joy for hockey was basically sapped right out of him. Uh, there was a, you know, toxic losing culture. And all of a sudden, I mean, you're a, he's a first-round draft pick with uh, high hopes when he broke into the NHL with Montreal and he goes to Buffalo. He was the first trade that Jason Botterill made. And he expected to be an impact player, and things just kind of got off to the on the wrong foot in the first game, and things just really deteriorated. Next thing he knows, he's in the doghouse of Phil Housley, and and he was, you know, you start to question your, you know, abilities, your confidence, uh, your joy for hockey. I mean, you go there expecting to be in the top four, and all of a sudden you're a healthy scratch on one of the worst teams in the NHL, and he really struggled with. Uh, having to deal with that situation and he'd asked for a trade on several occasions and as I wrote in my lead I mean for him the lowest of the low is that once the deadline had come uh, last season he still hadn't heard from his agent or the team so he thought he basically was going to be stuck in purgatory uh, for the remainder of the year and then lo and behold uh, 20 minutes after the deadline as these deals that are consummated right before the buzzer often occur uh, he did get that call saying he'd been traded to the Jets, and it really rejuvenated him in so many ways. It brought back the passion for hockey, and uh, one day you're a healthy scratch on a team that's struggling, and the next day, uh, because of an injury to Josh Morrissey, uh, not only did Beaulieu find himself in the lineup, he found himself in the top pairing with Jacob Truba. Oh, so pair, <laughs> yeah. Welcome to Winnipeg, by the way, and uh, I mean... It just is. It's just crazy how your lot in life can change, and and just the perspective that Bull you had. I mean, in saying that, like he totally realized how you know he he was in a great spot. Yes, you're living your dream. You're making money. All those things are all those things are true. But he just felt like it was such a degrading situation to be in, uh, not being able to be in the lineup and make the contribution that he had expected to make. So coming to Winnipeg, a team that was right in that playoff mix, it was. Uh, it really brought a, a renewed sense of passion for hockey and he was able to jump right in and, and make an impact. So I think it's a real good sign of perseverance. And I mean, his situation changed. He came into the air thinking he was going to be replacing Ben Sherrod and be Dustin Bufflin's partner. And uh, lo and behold, that hasn't happened yet, but uh, he's still kind of making the most of a, of a good opportunity. And now that he's been back after starting the year uh, on the injured list with that uh, upper undisclosed uh, upper body injury that, that, that happened again in the last period of the final exhibition game. So uh, a tough situation to start, but he's trying to make the most of uh, making up for lost time here. Yeah, just another one of those cartoonishly unfortunate circumstances for the Winnipeg Jets, uh, particularly on the blue line this year. Uh, I just want to reiterate just how how good of a piece it, it is. Uh, you, you mentioned the word degrading. He he says that to you in the piece. You, you really question a lot of things. I know we have an amazing life, but if you don't enjoy it, it's not all it's cracked up to be because it gets tough and there are dark days. Mentally, it was so de- degrading. And 
Um, there's that side of him. You go back as far as junior and into when things were a little bit better and the, the edge and the cockiness that he showed at one time. There's a lot of range in this piece. And, uh, um, and, and as much as I, as I call it a cartoonishly unfortunate series of circumstances, um, that opportunity that you're talking about to, to play with Dustin Bufflin, which I think any defenseman would want, um, has not come to fruition. And we know yesterday the NHLPA filed a grievance of Bufflin's suspension on, on Dustin Bufflin's behalf. Um, that's just part of the process here at, at, at this stage of the game. I think what, based on my current understanding of things, within the next 10 days or nine at this point, um, the Winnipeg Jets will have to sort of indicate how they feel about that contention. And I fully expect that they'll believe that their suspension was valid. And that's the point that we would get into an arbitration situation where an independent arbitrator would then investigate the situation and evaluate things such as the nature of Bufflin's health, the amount of information everybody had, what eventually happens to his cap hit, what eventually happens to his salary, what proportion of things get uh, does he get paid for. It's still, um, even though his, uh, his recovery from surgery is a, a ways away and probably a springtime thing, uh, it still continues to have a major impact on the way that Winnipeg runs its defense now. It, it's built off of waiver pickups and um, edge-of-the-roster additions that, to search for stabilization. It's built off guys like Nathan Beaulieu taking uh, steps forward as well and, and being asked to do a little bit more, and Neil Pionk being a really impressive uh, uh, acquisition so far as well, being perhaps even more than what the, the micro stats would have said about him in, in the summertime. But this continues to be a, a steady source of news. And uh, I'm wondering uh, in and around the team if, if, if you've got any sort of sense of, of the latest on Bufflin. Yeah, I mean, obviously the players have not been weighing in uh, since early in camp. And the team is, uh, you know, using a closed-lip policy at the urging of the National Hockey League, which is understandable. Uh, I mean, it's it's a tough situation. It's uh, there's a confidentiality side of things. I mean, obviously, teams like both sides are trying to prepare their cases the best that they can. Uh, NHL versus NHLPA, and uh, obviously, both sides believe that their cases, you know, that they should win their side. But I mean, in this case, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what would constitute a win. I guess. For Dustin Bufflin, getting back to full health and being paid would be a win. But for the Jets, it's a tough situation because they they probably need resolution. But, I mean, it's not an imminent situation. I mean, because of the nature of the injury. But at the same time, they need to find out if, A, there are going to be any uh, cap penalties, as you wrote about, Murad, and B, will there be room to replace Dustin Bufflin if he doesn't come back eventually. So to me, there's there have always been more questions than answers when it comes to the situation. And, and until the arbitration process begins, uh, we aren't going to get most of those answers. Uh, I mean, what we know right now is that Dustin Bufflin has had surgery. I, I believe the intention would be that he is going to return. Uh, otherwise, I, I don't think they would have proceeded with the grievance, but... Uh, at the same time, how, how do the Jets players feel about this? I mean, is Dustin Bufflin welcome back with open arms once there's resolution and he's healthy? I mean, we don't know that. I mean, uh, the, the other complicated part is Dustin Bufflin hasn't spoken since the playoffs last year, so we don't know where he's at. We don't know if he's upset. We don't know if he's feeling 
like he hasn't been treated fairly. Uh, it, it, there's just a lot of a lot of great unknowns to this point, and uh, I mean, even in terms of procedural stuff, I mean, will players be called as witnesses? I mean, obviously, we know that at the root of at the root of this issue is the the year end physical, which we know the NHL will continue to to stand up for that. I mean, the player signed off uh, on being healthy, but I mean, and that that's something that matters to the NHL. But I mean, it, it's very it's going to be interesting to see how everything shakes down. And I mean, is this a situation where the NHLPA is is hoping for a settlement, or do they find a way for divorce? I mean, I I don't know. There there these are all options, but. Uh, I, I don't think that the I don't think the Jets want to terminate the contract, and I don't think that there will be a financial settlement uh, before the case goes goes is heard by the independent arbitrator. But I mean, this is just me speculating here, and and again, that's well, basically it, at this at the stage that we don't have much else to go off of. Isn't it fitting that the most mysterious man in Winnipeg continues yeah. to have a mysterious impact on the team, even though he's not playing and. I, I think one of the key things that, that I, I'm trying to keep in mind as this goes through and, and the information evolves is that just because um, there's a procedural issue and a grievance and it could go to an arbitrator eventually, it doesn't necessarily mean that all parties are sick to death of each other or anything awful like that. It doesn't necessarily mean they're best friends of the situation. It's strictly a situation where the team needs clarity and, and resolution and Buffalo needs clarity and resolution because... There's a portion of the season for which he was suspended and players don't get paid and that has different impacts on the cap depending on the nature of the suspension, if he comes off at a certain date and goes on injured reserve, LTIR, all of these different sorts of things come with their own um, different endpoints. And we, we wrote about it at The Athletic in detail and tried to lay it out as best as we could, but even then that was a couple of weeks ago and, and now that the grievance is filed we can, we can look ahead from there. Um, just and the international man of, of mystery that is Dustin Bufflin um, it, it just continues to astound me I think somebody referred to to him as, the, as like the, the white whale or the yeti or the just like the impossible the um, person to track down in Winnipeg and um, one thing I will say is that since my time of being familiar with the Jets I can't think of a player whose on-ice identity has been more representative of the team in terms of just what joy he takes, the hits, the laughs, the, the strange dances in the penalty box, all sorts of things like that. Um, so that's a resolution that I think everybody's going to be looking forward to. Uh, for the moment, that's it. That's us. That's time. Uh, thanks for joining us today uh, on the Boarding Pass. Please rate and subscribe to the Boarding Pass on Apple. Tell them that clicking on... <laughs> Um, tell them how much you uh, love or like or uh, want to improve our show or we're happy that you're here. Make sure that you get to theathletic.com slash theboardingpass. That's going to get you 40% off a new subscription to The Athletic. And, of course, if you want to hear Ken and I get a little bit more into these details, spell things out a little bit more, including talking about perhaps the most heart-wrenching feature I've ever had to write at The Athletic so far, and I think we'll have a few words on that coming up. Make sure that you subscribe to The Athletic, get the full version of The Boarding Pass. Uh, for Ken Weeb, I'm Murata Tesh. Thank you for listening today. <laughs>